You're listening to the Get Your Head in the Game podcast, a show that shines a light on mental health in the sports community and manifests a dialogue amongst those looking to make a change. My name is Josh Kim, and I'm a journalist and photographer best known for my creative work across the sports landscape. And I'm sitting down with athletes, sports professionals, and coaches alike to talk about their own personal correlations between sports and mental health. Please be advised that the content discussed in this podcast contains mature subject matter and that listener discretion is advised. In the season two finale, I'm honored to be joined by the one and only Savannah Hamilton, a producer and on-air talent with MLSE and another trailblazer within the sports industry. A Ryerson alumni, Savannah started out as a varsity basketball player, but when injury cut her career short, she began exploring new opportunities off the court. Now working closely with the Raptors among other organizations, Savannah joins the podcast to tell her inspiring story about her career in sport media, how she found her passion for both hosting and producing, and some authentic stories, including Norman Powell's bartending and Kawhi Leonard's favorite drink. We have reached episode 20 here on the Get Your Head in the Game podcast, and we're wrapping up season two with another phenomenal guest as Savannah Hamilton is here to talk mental health and sport. Savannah is a producer and on-air talent currently working with MLSE, producing content for the Raptors, the Leafs, Uninterrupted, and NBA TV Canada. She's done some freelance work with CBC, and she's another talented Ryerson alumni. Savannah, thank you for taking some time out of your summer to join me today. Thank you for all the kind comments about this podcast offline. How are you and what have you been up to this summer? Well, <laughs> when you read back the bio, it sounds like a lot, but um, thank you for that. Uh, quite the introduction. Uh, I'm good. Uh, the summer has been going by so fast, I can say that, but I feel like part of it's pandemic related and the other half of it's doesn't the summer always feel like it goes by too fast in Canada? Definitely. There's always so much going on. And even even during the pandemic, I think a lot of creative minds and a lot of sports personalities are still finding plenty of projects to keep themselves occupied uh, as we continue here and approach the next school year. So I want to start this interview by asking why is mental health important? Again, it's a question that I ask a lot of people. It's a question, it's a question that I start every interview with here on this podcast. And it's just a really important question to even just get out there in the open and talk about. So why is mental health important to you? Well, big, uh, big question to, to start us off here, but you know, um, first of all, having a podcast to talk about mental health is so important to have that alone. Um, it's making it normal to talk about uh, something that is unseen per se in, in an athlete's performance or in anybody's really everyday performance. Um, and so I appreciate the platform that you're giving for uh, allowing me to speak on this, but a lot of your guests to speak on this as well. So appreciate that. Um, why is mental health important? Well, it's important for every single reason. Um, it is the captain of what your body would be the ship. And if your captain's not feeling well, if it's something gone wrong, well, then a lot more times than, um, you know, you will be steering off path or unsure of where you're going or why you're going a certain way. And so um, it's very important to always have uh, a checkup internally on yourself. That's funny because this past pandemic, I started a, a little passion project on TikTok talking about mental health and self-love and confidence because it truly is so dictate, uh, uh, it dictates your life really in the direction of where you want to go. Um, if you have to make sure that you are healthy mentally before you can go anywhere um, or impress anyone. And unfortunately, the reality is, is that we're only just now really recognizing um, the importance of mental health and, you know, calling out anxiety, calling out depression um, as valid and real 
um, aspects of life that need to be addressed. It can't just be left untreated or undiagnosed at these times because um, it, it, it's just as it affects you, if not more than a physical injury. And trust me, me as a, as a former athlete myself, physical injuries are not fun, but I can only imagine like mental ones. And we've all been through it at some point in our life um, are, are, are just as bad. Definitely. I mean, that that really is the main inspiration behind this platform that I've tried to create here, this podcast in general, and a lot of work that other people like yourself are doing on the side. A lot of that stems from just making it feel like a normal conversation because it is and and it definitely should be treated as such. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. So before talking about your career as a producer and an on air host, I want to first talk about your career as a student athlete, you you went to Ryerson and played basketball there, but your tenure was cut short due to injury. At what point did you decide to pursue other opportunities? And at what point did you really feel like, you know, this is the end of the line for me athletically, I'm going to try and look to create content elsewhere. And how did leaving basketball on the court open up new opportunities off of it? Yeah, oh, man, well, it was not exactly the smoothest of transitions, I will tell you that. So yeah, so when I when I entered Ryerson, um, I was very fortunate to have played on a successful high school team of a few of them, because in women's basketball, you got your high school team, your rep team and your AAU team. They've kind of simplified it now modern times but when I was playing it was that was the structure um and so going into Ryerson like I had a few other offers to go play in D1 so my headset was very much high high level competition for women's basketball I wanted to play at the highest levels and so for me a lot of that was like okay well I had to go to D1 school but then the program at Ryerson for sport media caught my attention um and this was this is important to mention now before I get into the transition of being a student athlete to a non-student athlete really um what happened was so first year university uh came out played okay uh, started to get my feet wet everything started to then pick up pace by the time you know christmas rolled around that first year university things were looking good my coach was giving me a lot of positive feedback saying that I could be looking at a lot more playing time going into the new year and like just on the upswing in general and i was like great cool and uh, sure enough, that Christmas break, uh, just at practice, I had a pretty bad knee injury that took me out for the season. And so that was pretty devastating to somebody who has very high hopes, dreams and ambitions. Um, you know, I, I, I did at one point imagine playing for my country. Like that was something that was on my radar. Like that's the ultimate goal, I think, as an athlete, um, if not playing professionally overseas or in the WNBA. So um, when that first happened, it kind of shook me uh, like down to, I don't want to say reality, but it definitely shook me to like, okay, I got to think about like my future here because I really, really had my head set on playing basketball for as long as I probably could play for. Um, but now with this injury, you know, there is life outside of basketball. So that was kind of the first eye-opening experience. But however, I still was hopeful about my basketball career because I knew that Many athletes have returned back from injury many times. Cool. I can do that. No problem. I can, I can do the same thing. And, my, and I ended up getting knee surgery. Um, it was not even for a torn ACL. I actually broke a bone in my tibia that floated underneath my kneecap. And then they had to extract out the bone. So it was a bit gruesome. Um, and so that was my physical injury. Um, that was followed by a wave of situational depression because of a sudden uh, life change and just kind of happening all at the same time and unexpected and having to think about other options when you really didn't want to think about other options at the time. And also I was stubborn enough to be like, I'm still playing basketball. So that, that was all good. I came back second year university, came back strong, 
everything was going well, picked the pace, everything was going great. And then I ended up actually in the playoffs, um, uh, spraining my hamstring, but it was minor enough that I was like, ah, like when Nick and bump, no problem. I will get over this as one as well. That was a quick injury. That was a quick fix. Third year university, um, played once again, back on my stride, played really well, great fitness. I was in probably one of my, my best shapes I was ever in, in university and, um, started starting on the team and started, you know, having a lot of senior leadership qualities. And, and, you know, my coach was even talking to me at the time about like professional opportunities to play basketball overseas. She was like, Oh, you might like Australia, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I was like, Oh, absolutely. Like you're speaking my language. I'm going to be an athlete. I'll play down there professionally. It's going to, life's going to be great. And then third university, um, uh, what happened? Oh yeah. Also same time, Christmas time, same injury as my first year university that took me about a year to recover from. So that took the, the wind out of my sails completely. And I was like, well, I guess <laughs> this one's going to be hard to come back from given that, you know, it's going to take me this entire season to get over this injury and I'll have to really grind in my fourth year. And, you know, I don't even know if I will be 100% back. And I was kind of faced with the, with a hard decision when I went to a doctor and the doctor said, yeah, you have to, if you are to get surgery on your knee this time around, it's going to be a lot more intrusive. Uh, we're going to have to put like metal, uh, like nails or screws, sorry, in there. Um, and it's going to be a longer recovery time. And that's if you want to play pro. Uh, and that's also going to like kind of be a maybe. But if you don't want to play pro, then we can leave the knee as it is, let it heal by itself. And it will just be a little bit unstable to play at like higher professional levels. It's going to have a more wear and tear uh, on top of like probably premature arthritis. However, like if you don't play pro, you'll have more longevity. And so I was kind of faced with a tough decision back in third university. And so I chose to not get the surgery, which is basically me choosing to not pursue basketball outside of university. So I finished out my fourth year. Um, and once again, like mentally, this was all very heavy, but at the same time, because of my program at sport media, which is the reason why I went to rise in the first place, I was able to network, meet some great industry connections and focus on uh, life outside of basketball while I was still playing basketball as well. So that was huge. Definitely a heavy and a very inspirational story to start this interview. I mean, I think I, I mean, I've heard stories about athletes bouncing back from injuries and, and the mental toll that it takes, but never to that extent where it's such a prolonged process over those three years, those three, four years, where now it led to something completely different. So that's a great inspiration. I'm, I mean, a great takeaway from that uh, is not to really let the injury hamper you in any way. So even though you're away from the court athletically, you're not away from it in any capacity since you're producing content now. So in relation to your current career, you started off as a freelancer working with CBC and now you're with MLSE in a variety of production roles. When you were working with those organizations early in your career away from basketball, what sort of mindset did you have knowing that there were potentially greater opportunities coming further down the road? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it's funny because in this industry, you have to stay stubborn. You have to be so stubborn. Oh, yeah. yeah, because you can't let anybody... Um, get in your head or tell you that, you know, that's them. This is not you, or, you know, like you're not capable of being on air. Like you have to, you truly have to be your biggest support system and your biggest cheerleader first and foremost, because, you know, I've had many times people say, 
even though I was in the building, even though I was like in the doors of, uh, of a broadcast, a broadcaster, they're like, Oh, you know, you're just lucky to be here. Like, don't, don't get too crazy. Think you want to be on television or be a big producer. Like just be happy to be here, even though you're doing this like little role. Um, and don't get me wrong. I was always grateful to, to have done the roles that I have done because, you know, that alone takes a lot of, of effort and it's really hard work. And, and to be honest, it's a lot of luck too to have the right connections that can get you in the door in the first place. So I did not take that for granted. However, I also knew that there was more for me in store. And that was once again, just being mentally stubborn and truly believing that um, and not being afraid to vocalize that too. Not being afraid to enter a room. If somebody asks you what you want to do, you say, I want to be on air. You know, like, then, and that's the only way that people are going to know she wants to be on air. She's not, if you just, you know, say, oh, you know, I don't know, like, yes, on air is interesting. They're not going to take the person who says on air is interesting versus um, I want to be on air. Like, that's a certain, that's a definitive answer. Um, and so that's essentially what I did at everywhere I worked. And I worked many different places uh, before being a full-time host and producer at MLSE. I think that goes to show, I mean, you just said it yourself, being stubborn like that, that just speaks directly to the people who are trying to work their way into the industry now. I mean, a lot of people, especially in the pandemic, are working in these roles that maybe they would not normally have worked in. But to, and that that's just a, st a stepping stone towards uh, their future aspirations. So I think being stubborn like that is a great lesson to have, a great lesson to take away from this and a great way to, to relate to the students and, and the people trying to find their way in the industry today. So production is something that people often don't appreciate simply because they aren't privy to the process and the work behind the scenes. I wasn't privy to the work behind the scenes for the longest time, so I didn't really appreciate it until I got to talk to producers like yourself, like Dan Gladman, who was on the show previously. Why did producing appeal to you, and how do you approach that aspect of your career day in and day out? Ooh, well, first of all, shout out to Dan Gladman. I've worked shout with out him to Dan Gladman. He's, he's great. Yeah, absolutely. Dan's great. Um, producing appeal to me. I, I don't even know if I completely had my head set on producing right away. Uh, it was more of a testing the waters type of thing. Like I didn't know what I didn't know. And kind of like you, like you don't know what goes into a production until you're just, you're pretty you're there. Exactly. And so once I kind of got to see the behind the scenes and how things worked, I was like, Oh, so the producer calls the shot shots. Like, Oh, see, like, I think the on-air talent, like it's almost like puppet and puppet master. Like, don't get me wrong, on-air talent, they like they do have a certain amount of freedom, but at the end of the day, you're following the creative vision of somebody else who is the producer. And so when I figured that one out, I was like, well, I, I, I kind of selfishly, I want to do both. Like, <laughs> and so, but like the, but for me, like, I, I think that producing is honestly a form of art. And I've always been um, actually a bit of a, a nerd when it comes to art. I, I was a visual artist growing up and had opportunities down that path but um so this so producing is a way for me to express that creative side that i feel that i have um and so when i got to see that you could tell stories through producing i was like this is awesome uh i love just telling stories and making people evoke emotion um whether that's happiness sadness anything in between uh just getting a real impactful message out there um that will be remembered or or you know, thought of that, that makes me happy. So I definitely uh, loved producing just for that side. Like I remember at one point someone's like, well, did you want to be a producer or a host? And I was like, I want, I want to be both, but like, cause like, don't get me wrong. Like I love hosting, but like producing is where the fun is at. 
Like that's where you really get involved. That's where you get your hands dirty. Like that's, it's fun. It's a busy, don't get me wrong. It's a lot, it's a lot of work when you're in it, but like you sit back and you see what you created and it's just like, I love, I love this. Wow. Uh, I've never heard someone approach producing like that. Um, I've always had an open mind to it only because I've, I've talked to people like yourself about, about that, but to be able to attack that position with such passion and to be able to want to do both. I like the analogy of being the puppet and the puppet master at the same time. We don't get to see that very often today, but that's a great story and a great inspiration point for, for your role today. So you're also an on-air host with the Raptors, the Leafs, Uninterrupted Canada, and even NBA TV. So why did you prioritize being a host and how does your mindset in front of the camera contrast your attitude behind the camera? Well, first of all, I want to just make make it clear that like, I, although I've worked a little bit with the Leafs, I'm not like an on-air host with the Leafs for sure. Like they have their own uh, talent that are very incredible, like Danielle Hernandez. She, she's incredible. Um, however, you know, I was fortunate to, to help them out on a podcast. So uh, yeah, no, like just to go back to your question, I think I'm so fortunate to have worked a variety of roles in the TV industry. Like before I was a producer or, or a host, I was uh, an associate director at CBC. So I, timing was everything, time math, like subtracting, you know, what's 57 seconds, subtract 21 seconds. You got to like know that off the top of your head, right? And so then you start to like get a feel for how long a minute feels, a 30 seconds feel. And at the time when you're doing it as an associate director, you feel like, okay, this is just my job, like rinse, wash, repeat. But then now in my new, like my current roles, um, you know, as a host, I feel like I'm taking aspects of, what I did in my previous roles and jobs. And one of them is ADing and be like, okay, well, how does 30 seconds feel? Well, I could fill 30 seconds worth of talking just based off of how I remembered the feeling of 30 seconds. It's hard to explain. I I'm not crazy, I swear. Um, but that's that's how I, I feel. But then also like before CV, well, during CBC, I should say, um, funny enough, Dan Gladman gave me a reference to work at uh, Tangerine Bank, uh, launching their social media channels uh tangerine hoops with the raptors and so with that job i really got to put into action a lot of the, the social media skills and planning and captions and responding to people and a lot of little like intricacies with that social media managers are who the warriors of the world man that's no easy job i i empathize with every social media manager and coordinator there is out there because you got to go to events. You got, you got to be the photographer. You got to be the graphics coordinator. You have to make sure that like, you're, you're interactive with your channel and that you're always constantly engaging. If you seriously want to see growth on your platform. And so because I did that job, that was almost like a prequel to, to producing um, on top of like, you know, the right verbiage that you want to use and being articulate, but also kind of being fun. Like it's, it's a balance of everything. So I find that now when I'm hosting and producing, I'm bringing that element um, into my job as well. And so now when I go to produce and I get to wear both hats as a producer and a host that, uh, you know, when I'm producing something for somebody else, sometimes I produce stuff for other talent. Um, I will think, well, how would I as a talent want to see this displayed to me? How would I as a talent want to read this out loud? And I know that everybody also reads their stuff differently, but there's definitely a way that you would want to script talent or give them notes that make sense for them to read that it's almost like automatic just makes their lives easier and then vice versa as talent I have so much empathy for the people who work behind the scenes and all the stuff that goes into producing and into camera work and into editing that like you know like I, I when I'm when I'm on air I um 
I try to be as kind. That's like one thing that you cannot teach is just, just being a kind human being because everybody is just doing their best. They're doing their job and they just want to, at the end of the day, want to have a clean show. Um, and a lot of on-air talent that have kind of primarily only stuck to on-air in my experience in the past, having worked at other networks, um, they forget that or they lose sight of that. And so kindness just goes so far when you're on, on camera. Um, and then also there's, there's actually a rule of thumb in the industry. I don't know if you know, you're allowed, <laughs> you're allowed to be, you know, okay, but you have to be really kind or you, or you're allowed to be amazing on camera, like, like hitting every single point and mean, ideally you're on point and kind, but it's hard for other networks, I've heard this somewhere else that, you know, if you are on the mean side, you have to be really, really good. Um, so I just try to be really good <laughs> and as nice as I can be, because, you know, I'm not perfect. And uh, there's a lot of forgiveness that happens when uh, when you're an on-air personality and you have to, like, you mess up, honestly, like, I messed up like here and there. Oh, can you edit this out? Like, I don't want to have a, a salty editor one day leave something I said wrong into a cut. You know, it's like a lot of like other aspects that you think about. Totally. I mean, you get to experience the best of both worlds. I mean, you can use the stuff that you learn as an on-air host in your production roles and vice versa. And I've actually never heard that rule before, but I've heard, I think I've heard a couple variations of it, but I've never had someone tell me that straight up. So that's definitely something I'll keep in mind moving forward. So Wearing all those different hats with all those different organizations, how do you handle the pressure of producing content for those organizations? And by pressure, I just mean the responsibility of actually making something that goes live on air. It's so funny because I don't even, as a producer, I don't really feel the pressure like that. I feel like I'm just going to put out the best content that I feel is strong. It's going to follow the guidelines that they're looking for, of course, but um and, like, and there's also like, also, I feel like there's also rounds of feedback and there's so much support when you work, especially for a big organization like MLSC. Um, you know, you get, you get different eyeballs on your work before it even makes air. The best feeling is when you produce something and you work your butt off on it. And then it, you show it to the, um, the next people in line who need to see it before it makes air. And it just gets greenlit the entire time. Like, yep, yep, yep. Good to go. Like that's the best feeling, but that's a really rare occurrence because most of the time, Oh, can you tweak this? Can you change this line in a board? Can you, uh, you know, maybe redo this section over again or use this different viz instead of this viz over here. Um, there's lots of little tweaks and like, we're only human. So a lot of times we can overlook something or miss something completely. Um, but that's what, the other lines of eyeballs are for and that's what it's everybody's responsibility to put the to put the best product out there so as an individual producer myself I always feel like I'm putting my best work forward at all times and if there is something that you know can be different and sometimes it's not even like a, a negative thing sometimes it's just a creative difference um if there's something that they want to be tweaked absolutely no problem you can never get too attached to the work you do that's the other that's the rule of them as well. Don't get too, don't call it your baby. It's not your baby. Like it's at the end of the day, it's the organization, what they want. So, um, but you still can put your best foot forward in it. An important lesson to keep in mind. Do not get too attached to your work. That is, that is great. So in conjunction with, with your work, I wanted to ask you a question away from mental health for a second, because I also think normalizing it also means talking about other things while also talking about mental health. So what is your coolest work-related story to date? when it comes to working in the industry? Oh, 
man, this is such a tough question. It's a tough question because of COVID and like this past pandemic year, there's been so many cool experiences that I think I've been so fortunate to have, uh, to have had in this industry. Um, like I was almost going to say when I first, like you sent me the questions in advance and I was almost going to say this time I was, um, literally right next to LeBron James in a scrum. Um, but that's not quite the same. So when I was working at Tangerine Bank, they have, so the Raptors have this, um, this event that they, that they make for um, partners, like all the brands that are sponsors with the Raptors. And so it's a big event. Typically um, I was there covering it with Tangerine and um, I was doing the social. So I was taking photos. I was like kind of going around, whatever, checking, whatever. Anyways. So the Raptors, the actually the actual team themselves, they come to this event. They really engage with the business people, with the fan. We're ultimately all fans of their of their work. Like everybody's a Raptors fan if you're coming to this event, and they engage and like some like you know Pascal Siakam was playing video games with like one of my university former classmates, and like um, you know uh, Serge Ibaka was in a photo booth taking photos with like the fans for fun. It's like this very very big open event, and so there's also drinks allowed at the event and there's bars. And so the Raptors, they took over the bars themselves. And so I think my coolest like little piece of swag I could say is that I, when I went to the bar, um, and, uh, the Norman Powell made me a drink. <laughs> That's one of like the funnest things I could say. I was like, Oh, well, this doesn't happen every day. Like, you know, Toronto Raptor just here, here's a, here's a rum and Coke. And I'm like sick. <laughs> I don't know. So normally I like, but I don't know. I've been so fortunate because I've like, you know, been able to interview a lot of the guys. Um, I asked Kawhi uh, at that same event. I was like, Kawhi, what's, what's your favorite drink? Cause he was behind the bar and I was, and he's like, he started like, he, he, he smiles more than you guys think. Um, he, he was like water and he started laughing and I'm like, that's BS. Like, <laughs> so yeah. And like Jeremy Lin at the time, this is the 2019 team. And like Jeremy Lin, like took my phone and like like took phone like photos on my phone, like stuff like that. It was like such a really cool, open, easy, interactive event. It was so much fun. So that's probably the coolest story I have so far. So you heard it here first. Kawhi Leonard smiles more than a lot of people think, and I think I knew that, but I it's nice to hear that it's confirmed. Definitely a very cool story, a very unique story, and I'm kind of jealous. I think all Raptors fans would be when they hear something like that. So shifting gears a little bit. Basketball has been one of the more progressive sports, I'd say, when it comes to diversity and representation. Both the NBA and WNBA have continued to lead the movement, so to speak, on both on and off the court when it comes to diversity. As someone working in the basketball environment, does that make you more motivated to create sustainable change wherever you can and kind of continue to blaze your own path in the industry here? I honestly don't think that I would be working in this industry if basketball wasn't this progressive. Um... I, I love especially what the Raptors stand for in terms of BLM and being vocal leaders um, in the NBA um, in terms of just taking a stance. This is where we stand. You can respect it or not, but this is, this is where we stand. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm so fortunate to have worked for a organization that represents that change. And uh, the WNBA is a league that I'm so, 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 so proud to be able to cover um, within my new show, Swish, because, uh, you know, they have represented change and progress for many, many years now. In fact, the NBA and many players like LeBron have 
flat out said, like, you know, we've looked at the WNBA, what they're doing to be inspired to what we're doing. Like, you know, WNBA has taken meals before the NBA has done that. Like the WNBA boycotted games and stayed in the locker room and they've, um, they've worn t-shirts, they've done everything. They got like penalized back then for wearing t-shirts and taking stances. Um, They've, they've blocked out media even. Uh, from asking questions that weren't related to whatever social justice cause that they were representing. Um, And so WNBA is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And on top of just, just being incredible athletes, the women are. Um, So yeah, so I I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I'm happy that I'm working in, in a field where I could talk and push the narrative of social change and justice, because I honestly do think with all the fans that watch sports, all the fans that watch basketball, um, if they could see what their idols and what these p- people of power really ultimately, these are multi-million dollar athletes here are doing and what they're saying, I think that that creates a bigger global change that just pushes the needle forward in equality ultimately. Definitely. I mean, it's it's been great to watch that as another minority and as a sports fan, especially to watch both of those leagues create such meaningful impact when it comes to diversity and representation. So that alone has been great to watch, especially over the past year. So speaking of that representation, kind of a look towards the future here as we wrap this up. TSN did their first all-female NBA broadcast this past season and MLSD has, as an organization has continued co- to commit itself to diversity. When you see things like that happening, things we're beginning to see become more and more consistent in today's sports landscape. How does that influence your outlook on your own career up to this point as you reflect back on your incredibly inspiring journey here? I've said that a lot about a lot of guests on this show, but every person's journey has been incredibly inspiring. So how is how does that influence your outlook on your own career up to this point? <laughs> Thank you. Everybody has their own like journey and their own path. And I know like I, I get inspired when I hear people's stories and that's why I love to tell other people's stories and, or amplify their voices. Um, yeah. When I see the all women's broadcast and I was so fortunate enough to produce the promo piece that went out and like, it did way better than I was ever imagining. Like TNT took it and they, I, uh, I don't even know if they played in the broadcast, but they definitely like put it up on Twitter and it just went, it went crazy. I was like, whoa that's a piece of content that I did (laughs) and they like it like wild like ESPN took it everybody took it um which was not like not taken a bad way they just like retweeted it or published it or whatever um so that alone was like wow like they're really pushing this narrative of female equality and equity um and not only does my organization support that but the organizations around the league uh they also see the value in that as well And so that just tells me that like, you know, in in my future, um, you know, when I do eventually, hopefully um, start doing more NBA broadcasts myself, that the opportunity is there and that it is not a foreign concept to see another woman at the table. Um, Right now, it's hard to see barely one woman at the table, right? There's typically just a one woman, you know, limit, it feels like, but really it's just a matter of change and and change takes a lot of time and it's hard because we're stuck in a position where um we have a lot of amazing talent male and female and it's it's because of the systems that were in place in in the past we we have to be careful with how we navigate going forward uh while respecting the people who are currently there but then also implementing change today because change really is that important um representation most probably the most used catchphrase of the year, but representation does matter. Um, 
And so when I get to see myself there at the, see myself represented by other women um, on that broadcast and a lot of, every single one of them I knew, <laughs> um, I could call either a colleague, even a friend. Um, it, it just made me so happy and proud to see them there. Uh, and they did such a great job. Oh my gosh, they killed it. And I think it really showed Raptors fans, audiences in the industry all together that like women belong in this space. Um, and, and so, yeah, it definitely gives me, it gives me hope overall. You said it the best. Change takes a lot of time to implement, but we're slowly and but surely getting there. And I think we've over the past year, especially, we've seen a lot of positive signs that are trending in the right direction. Still, obviously, a long way to go. Still, obviously, a lot of work, a lot of hard work that still needs to be put in. But we're definitely on the right track and we're definitely getting there, at least in our, in my view. It's been great to witness change happening at a sustainable level. So that's just a great way to wrap things up. Savannah Hamilton, she's an on-air host and producer with MLSE. If you're a sports fan in Toronto, you've most likely seen her work at one point or another. Savannah, thank you again for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to you in any capacity. Wishing you all the best as you continue to create inspiring content, and I hope we cross paths again soon enough. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're watching Raptors Today, Savannah Hamilton, alongside Paul Jones and Sherman Hamilton. And today we have your first half of the season recap. Now, Jonesy, it was a bit of a rough start. I think that's yeah. very fair to say. They were 2-8. and eight. Can you break down the struggles that they faced starting?